Right, thank you so much, Deacon Eric, for leading us in our service, and for Doris and the music team for leading us in the songs today. Thank you for joining us online, wherever you may be. Now, I'd like to ask you to just keep your Bibles open, uh, whether on the hard copy Bible that you have, or on your phones, to Exodus chapter 20. And this is for your own reference, as well as discernment. Shall we go to God in prayer first? Living God, please help us so to hear your holy word that we may truly understand, that understanding we may believe, and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honour and glory in all that we do. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, we all know that for months now, uh, we have been hearing on the news about protests, right? protests all around the world against the COVID lockdowns, from the US to different cities in Europe and down under to Australia. And perhaps we can't comprehend here in Singapore because here famously we just follow law, right? in, the, in the words of uh, one of our directors locally. But even here in law-abiding Singapore, I'm sure that you have heard of people, or even ourselves, voicing out complaints about the strict restrictions for social gatherings and dining in, or about the ever-changing, ever-evolving guidelines for WFH or HBL, or about the lack of clarity for LOA, SHN, HQO, HRA, HRW, and so on or we may simply be too confused by all these acronyms which are just ratted off, which our health minister calls an alphabet soup. In case you're wondering what it looks like, here's a picture of it. Amidst the confusion and misinformation about COVID-19, all the rules and advisories, how can you and I gain clarity? What exactly are the latest guidelines? Why should we obey these rules? Are our authorities reliable and correct? Or are they simply flipping prata, as some people said? Can we really obey these laws? Well, these are the very questions that we can also ask about God's law. Exodus chapter 20, the portion of God's word that we've read today and we're going to look at, answers these questions for God's people. Firstly, why obey God's good law? And second, what exactly is God's good law? And thirdly, how to obey God's good law? First, it's important to be looking at the context of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 19, the people of Israel were gathered at the base of Mount Sinai and they were told to prepare themselves to hear God. And then in Exodus chapter 19, verse 4, Moses went up to the mountain where the Lord Yahweh commanded him to tell the people of Israel, You yourself have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
these words before us set the backdrop for what we are about to look at. Which comes first? God's grace in redeeming his people from Egypt for himself or God's law to govern his people so that they would obey him and mediate God's presence to the nations? Surely grace precedes law, just as Exodus chapter 1 to 19 precedes Exodus chapter 20. It is because of God's covenants with Abraham that he is now giving this good law to Abraham's children. And so this helps us to answer our first question. Why obey God's good law? In verse 1, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Here we see that God introduces himself as the Lord or Yahweh in the Hebrew using the name by which he made the covenants with Abraham, back in Genesis chapter 12. And back in Exodus chapter 2, verse 24, when the people of Israel were crying out for help because of slavery, we read there that God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenants with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Now here, in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, it summarizes for us what God has already done for the people of Israel. He's brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, let me ask you, what will make us more willing to obey all these rules or the laws about COVID? If we trust the heart and with the intentions of our lawmakers, right? But if there is some mistrust or even suspicion, then we may question their motives or their intentions and even their capabilities. And perhaps the lockdown protests around the world, even our local dissent, reveal a deep mistrust of authority. Now, not many of us are involved in the process of drafting these laws and policies, nor are we all related to these lawmakers, though I know some of you may be. But if there is mistrust or suspicion, but if, we, sorry, but if we do personally know these people who are making and enforcing these rules, then perhaps we will trust these rules that they are making. But all of us can also look at the track record right, of these policy makers and enforcers. What have they done right in the past? Likewise, children trust and listen to their parents because of the relationship that we have. But as parents, if we make promises that we don't keep, or if we are being overly harsh or unfair, then our kids may find it harder to trust or listen to us. If we teach them, read your Bible and pray every day, but they don't see ourselves doing so, then we lose our credibility. It's the same between spouses and siblings and friends. Human relationships are built upon faithfulness and trust. Now, what about God? God initiated and established a, a relationship with Abraham and the people of Israel. And he proved his faithfulness to their relationship by remembering the covenant that he made with them. He showed his love by rescuing them from slavery, 
for himself. God doesn't tell us to do what I say, not what I do. He did for his people what he's been telling them to do. He redeemed them so that they could do these things. And so the law summed up in the Ten Commandments that God gives Israel to do was not given so that they can earn their redemption or to establish a relationship with God. Rather, this law was given because of God's redemption of his people and his prior relationship with his people. In other words, we don't obey the law in order to be saved or accepted by God. We obey because we have already been saved and accepted by God. Grace precedes law. And there's a second reason for Israel to obey God's law as well. Going back to Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, keeping these 10 words is the way that they can be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation for God among all peoples. The law was given to Israel to set her apart from the other nations, to be their priests and to make her into a holy nation for God. Through Israel's obedience of God's good law, the other nations would come to know their God. So to sum up, Israel was to obey the law because God had redeemed them. He redeemed them for vertical relationship with him, for horizontal and inward relationships with God's people, Israel, and for horizontal outward relationships with God's world. So next, let's get some clarity about our next question. Uh, what is God's good law? In verses 3 to 17, we have what's traditionally called the Ten Commandments in the English. And even if you don't read the Bible, you don't know about Christianity or Judaism, you might still know the 1956 epic film starring Charlton Heston, and which carries this very title. Whenever Christians think about God's law, the Ten Commandments, uh, I'm talking to about Exodus 20 and not the movie, uh, these Ten Commandments come to mind, right? When you think of the law, you think Ten Commandments. And that's very understandable since these Ten Commandments are the core of the whole law of God. But they are not the whole law. First, God's law or the Torah in Hebrew flows from his covenant relationship with his redeemed people. And it is not a bunch of dead rules that are cut off from a living relationship. It is not a set of conditions before a relationship is established, like the modern prenuptial agreements that we have. Next, the word Torah may originate from the root yara, meaning to shoot or to throw. So it carries the idea of giving direction or instruction. And that is why Torah is also the collective title for the five books of Moses from, Deut from Genesis to Deuteronomy. How Israel will respond to God's law in the future will become part of the instructions to direct future generations for how to trust and obey God. Now, as we look at Exodus 20, we should also note that the term Ten Commandments, the term itself was never used in the Bible. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 introduces what follows as all these words. 
And later they are called the law and the commandments, singular, in Exodus chapter 24. And the ten words in Exodus 34 and Deuteronomy. Finally, the least is repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 5 with some variations as well. So for the sake of today, we'll be following the traditional Protestant enumeration in our brief survey of these ten commandments or ten words. And verse 2 is the preamble. It is not one of the ten words. Earlier, we saw that the law was given to Israel because God had already redeemed them for a relationship with Him and for horizontal relationships with one another. The ten words reflect these two directions or dimensions, with the first four concerning our duty to God and the next six concerning our horizontal duty to other people. Verse 3 contains the first of these ten words. You shall have no other gods before me. Now here God isn't conceding that there are other gods beside him. Rather, he is demanding complete allegiance. And the reason is, he's redeemed them to be his treasured possession among all peoples. I didn't know that there was such a thing as the oath of renunciation, allegiance and loyalty. And I didn't know that this was compulsory for all minors who obtained Singapore citizenship by descent, right, through their parentage, or through registration, as soon as they reach 21 years of age. And if you go on the Singapore government website, you can find the full text. Commandment number one is like this oath of renunciation, allegiance, and loyalty. Right? Uh, it's for God's people to renounce all other gods and pledge their allegiance and loyalty exclusively to Yahweh alone. That is the exclusive claim that God rightfully has over his people. Each commandment will tell us something about God. And here in this first commandment, we learn that God is one. There's only one God, and there's no other God beside him. Commandment number two is in verse four. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that's in the, the earth below or that's in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the, the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, by showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. This commandment prohibits the worship of idols, even images of the true God no matter how well-intentioned we may be. And here we learned that God is spirit. This is actually something that we are quite, we're all quite naturally inclined to do. Let me just share with you. My youngest daughter, who is five, recently she drew a picture of the cross right, in children's church, and she wrote the name Jesus on the cross. And so she asked us for some sticky tape and pasted this cross on the wall. And to the horror of her sister who witnessed this, she started bowing down to it. Now, we had to quickly and gently correct her that you know, you, we, we honour God and we worship God, but we don't bow down to images of God. See, like counterfeit art, 
any attempts to represent God in an image or likeness, no matter how well executed, is a forgery, is a misrepresentation. It's an affront to the creator, the original artist. Likewise here, idolatry is hatred of the true and living God. It offends God, who is a spirit and cannot be embodied. And so God warns sternly that he will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate him by doing this, practicing idolatry. Now, this isn't what some have falsely taught as generational sin, whereby we have to ask God to forgive also the sins of our ancestors in addition to our own sins. Rather, the practice of idolatry was often passed down through the generations in those days and even today as well. And likewise, God's judgment also falls on the generations that practice idolatry. Yet, we see here that God's steadfast love is greater still, for he shows steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Nonetheless, the judgment is very real. And the reason is this, is God's jealousy. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, in case you are worried about God's jealousy, God's jealousy here is a good one. It's like a wife's jealousy for her husband, for her husband to be wholeheartedly devoted to her, and vice versa. God will not tolerate his people committing spiritual adultery with false gods or even images of himself. And that is why this harsh word here. This same severity is also seen in the warning to commandment number three. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who, hold, who takes his name in vain. Now, this commandment requires that reverential use of God's holy name and attributes for his glory and, not for our, and also for our spiritual good. So God's holiness demands that he must punish those who dishonor his name. Commandment number four is in verse eight. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servants or your female servants or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, this is the first of two uh, positive commandments. The reason is given, the reason given for keeping the Sabbath day holy is this. God is creator. He created everything in six days and rested on the seventh. And so he blessed this seventh day and made it holy. And so it is also to be holy for us. In the second exposition of this law in Deuteronomy chapter 5, a different humanitarian reason was given. God is Redeemer. He's the one who rescued Israel from slavery to Egypt. So Israel was to remember God's mercy and show mercy by giving rest to their children, slaves, 
foreigners and animals. Here in chapter 20, Exodus 20, there is but a hint of this, in that the rest is meant for everyone. The principle of mercy lies behind this very commandment. It requires those of us who are employers to provide a rest day to our migrant domestic workers and other employees as well. Just as we desire rest, so we should also provide rest fairly to others. We have another positive commandment in commandment number five. Honour your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, this commandment to honour may actually extend to others who are in authority over us as well. After the first four commandments, which concern our vertical duties to God, this is the first of six commandments which address our horizontal duty to others. Honouring parents is the first of this, probably because our parents are like God the Father to us, and that they give us life. And Paul says in Ephesians 6 verse 2, this is the first commandment with a promise. And this promise, which is of longevity or prosperity in the promised land, typically holds true, right? Since listening to the wise counsel of older men and women, as well as kings and those in authority, generally will extend our life and ensure success. So, do you want a long life? Well then, how's your honouring of parents? Of course, this practice of honouring our parents may look different in different seasons of our lives. Right? So for younger children, we honour our parents by obeying them. And for adult children, we may honour our parents uh, not necessarily by obeying them all the time, but showing them respect and piety. Now let's sum up the other five commandments and let's see what they tell us about God. On this slide, we have numbers six to nine. Number six, you shall not murder. This affirms the sanctity of life because God is the giver of life and the Lord of life. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. It affirms the sacredness of marriage since God is a faithful God. Number eight, you shall not steal ensures the protection of property because God is a just God and he will not tolerate injustice. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbour, affirms the importance of truthfulness, since God is true. And the next slide, number 10, you shall not covet your neighbour's house, you shall not covet your neighbour's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbour's. This last commandment advocates, I think, contentment, because God is a generous God and He's given us all the good things that we need, and so we should not covet what is not ours. Notice, until we act out of discontentment for what we already have, and we steal or we commit adultery, our legal system cannot really impose this law on us, right? Because our legal system, human systems, cannot deal with our hearts, our hearts of covetousness since greed lies stealthily in our heart. God, on the other hand, he looks not only at our actions, 
but also and first at our heart. He's the only one who can judge our hearts and intentions, even better than ourselves. As Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 declares, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And God answers, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. See, ever since humanity's first sin at the fall, you and I are totally depraved. And this means that every faculty, every part of our soul and body has been poisoned by sin. If we aren't restrained or if our hearts are not renewed by God's grace, then we are naturally inclined to sin against God and against our neighbour. And since that is so, we must ask ourselves then how to obey God's good law. Now, to warn his people about the seriousness of his law and the severity of disobeying it, God manifested himself in the same way that he did in Exodus chapter 19. Here in chapter 20, verse 18, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. This, what we call a theophany of God, uh, with the sight and sound and even smell, was to induce fear and trembling. And it certainly succeeded. Right? The result was this. The people were fearful to approach God themselves and they asked Moses to mediate between them and God as their spokesperson. And Moses explained, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. See, we see the awesomeness of God here, and we also see at the same time the need for a mediator between this holy God and his sinful people. And even with the mediatorial work of Moses, Israel will still fail to obey God's law. And so what follows on from verse 22 are instructions for building altars so that various kinds of offerings may be made to God. There is anticipation here of Israel's inevitable disobedience of God and God provision, God's provision for atoning sacrifices. In the rest of the Torah and beyond, we see Israel failing to obey God's voice and keep God's covenant. They were not a kingdom of priests and a holy nation for God among all peoples. They were not able to draw all nations to come to know God. So, to answer the question again, how to obey God's good law? The answer is very simple. We cannot, and indeed we will not do so, at least not by our natural self. You know this, and I know this very well. Just as I tell our brothers in Changi Prison when we go in to preach and teach God's word to them, there's actually no fundamental difference between them and me. We are all lawbreakers, just that some of us have not yet been caught. But God sees and knows all things, so we all stand on level ground before him as sinners. So then how? How exactly can we obey God's law? 
we shall look at this and try to answer it by exploring how God's good law relates first to Christ and then to us. So first, God's good law and Christ. Unlike Israel and us, the Lord Jesus was born of a virgin and by the Holy Spirit. And so he didn't inherit the sinful nature that's common to us. He could perfectly obey the Father as the new and better Adam and the new and better Israel. So when the Lord commands us to obey God's law, he's not saying, do what I say, but also do what I do. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 onwards, there's this intriguing encounter between Jesus and a young man. A man came up to him, Jesus, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honour your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbour as yourself. The young man said to him, All this I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you will be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, notice here that the Lord Jesus doesn't do away with the Ten Commandments. He doesn't just throw them out. In fact, he said, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. But he also shows here that it is in fact impossible for us to keep the commandments perfectly and so enter into eternal life. Yes, this young man was able to keep commandments numbers 5 to 9, which are about his external actions. But when Jesus challenged him to give away all his possessions to follow him, he immediately exposed that covetousness was in his heart. The Lord is fully aware of our heart condition. He shows the true meaning of God's law so that we will know that in our hearts we are incapable of keeping God's law perfectly. And that is why he had to come and die in place of us, to fulfill the requirements of the law on our behalf. Again in Matthew 22, verse 34 onwards, a lawyer challenged the Lord, asking, Teacher, which is the greatest, which is the sorry, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. See, the Lord agreed with the rabbinical teaching at the time that the whole law may be summed up by these two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, taken from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 and love your neighbour as yourself, from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And the former of this he calls the great and first commandment, since our love for God must precede love for anyone and anything else. And the second 
is the new commandments that Christ gives to his disciples before he died. In, Je- in John chapter 13, verse 34, he said this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. See, through his death, the Lord Jesus makes a new covenant with us, and he makes us into his new covenant community as well. And as part of this new covenant, he gives us a new commandment, just as God made a covenant with Israel and gave them the Ten Commandments at Sinai. As the new covenant's royal priesthood and the new covenant holy nation, our obedience of this new commandments by the Lord is our witness for the Lord to all the people, just as Israel's obedience of the Ten Commandments is their witness for God to all peoples. Finally, we will come now to the relationship between God's good law and us. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians, as well as parts of Romans, that Christ has set us free from being under the law, so that we can now live by faith instead as sons of Abraham. And yet he also warns his readers in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, You are caught to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. And also in Galatians 6 two, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfil the law of Christ. So, see here that the Lord Jesus actually asks us to now to keep this one command, which sums up the whole law, and that is to love our neighbour as ourselves. So to sum up here, here are two extreme positions for Christians to be avoiding concerning the law and one proposed position that I think is the biblical one. The first position to avoid is the legalist or the lawful Christian. And he's, he or she is all about imposing the law on others and judging those who fall short. And sometimes they may also impose the law on themselves and they feel very small. They feel very guilty. And the Lord God has but the harshest words on the Pharisees and others who are self-righteous in this way, who impose the law harshly on others. So this is the first position we must avoid, the legalist. The second is the antinomian or the lawless Christian who disregards the law and thinks that it has no more use for today. The Bible itself teaches that the law still has use for us and the Lord Jesus actually commands us to keep it. Though Christians, believers, are no longer obligated to the law. Right? If it sounds confusing, let me explain. We are no longer under the law and yet we can still in our freedom keep the law because now we do no longer live under the control of the law but under grace. So the biblical position, which I, help, I hope will help to clarify this, the biblical position towards the law, I think, is this. is the justified or the law-free Christian. Okay? So the Lord Jesus fulfilled the law and kept it for us so that now you and I are right with God. We are friends with God, no longer enemies. And as those who are now free from the law, 
from slavery to the law, we can now choose to live according to Christ's law, which is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And the Ten Commandments actually explain to us or show us who God is and who we are in relation to Him. So they are still helpful for us to come to know God. They help us to see uh, what loving God and loving our neighbor look like in practice as well. And we do see most of these Ten Commandments reiterated in the New Testament, uh, except perhaps the Sabbath commandment. Right? So the Sabbath commandment seems to be given a new meaning uh, through Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection and the salvation that he brings to us. So it's perhaps helpful for us to learn the Ten Commandments by heart, uh, but more importantly, to understand what they teach us. And to do that, we can use either the Westminster Long, uh, Larger Catechism or the New City Catechism. And the New City Catechism has additions for adults, kids, and families. You may not be aware that Roda Fellowship, which is our ministry for Filipina migrant domestic workers, they have been already working through this New City Catechism this year. So why not let your helpers rest and join them every Saturday? Okay, and that will be your first practice of the Sabbath law. Our preschool children are doing this as well. And so you might want to pick this up for yourself to do as an individual, as a couple, or as families. And I've personally used the new CD catechism on my phone as an app with my kids. And they really love the songs that come along with it that help them to memorize the lessons. During this COVID period, as uh, Deacon Eric had, had prayed, we can also reflect on how loving one another as God's church looks like in this special time. We can also practice this love. The general sense is that there is anxiety and frustration, and it is made worse by isolation and stress from work and from helping our children with their studies. And I thank God that I heard about how brothers and sisters here in ARPC in discipleship groups they have rallied together to provide care packages and support for one another, especially those who are isolated because of COVID or because they come into close contact, asking after each other whether through WhatsApp or through a phone call goes a long way to encourage those who are going through a hard time. And I pray that during these difficult times, our love may abound more and more in this way. Now, if you listened to our PM Lee's address earlier this weekend, he acknowledged that the service, the service delivery has fallen short earlier. But he assures us that they are working hard and they have worked hard to fix it and to put things right again. The lack of clarity about home recovery will finally be resolved. No more complicated flowcharts, no more alphabet soup. We need clear guidelines to fight COVID as a united people. Right, that's the message. Well, thank God that He has already given us, His redeemed people, through, with whom He entered into relationship. He's given us a good and clear law, both in the Ten Commandments as well as in the Lord's Great Commandment. And He's delivered it to us clearly by His Son. He's enabled us to obey it by His Holy Spirit living in us. God's good law for His people 
shows us who He is, how we are to live, and our need for Jesus, our Saviour. So let's give all of ourselves to God and live out His law of love. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for giving your Son to save us from slavery to sin and to bring us to yourself. Thank you for making us into a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for your own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of you who caught us out of darkness into your marvellous light. Help us do so through our holiness and witness, that by our love for one another, all people will truly know that we are Christ's disciples. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.